Chapter Five of the Prospective Mother. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. The Prospective Mother by J. Morris Slemons. Chapter Five: The Care of the Body. The bowels, the kidneys, the skin, bathing, douches clothing corsets the breasts if we stop to think it is only too apparent that the human body is a machine we seize energy in one form and convert it into another just as truly as do the windmill the locomotive and the dynamo in the case of the human machine the latent energy of the food is turned into the various activities of everyday life our bodies utilize their fuel more perfectly than any machine that man has invented but they fail nevertheless to do so completely and just as the efficiency of an engine cannot be maintained unless the smoke escapes and the ashes are raked away so no human being can enjoy health unless his waste products are promptly removed the task of removal as most of us know is assumed by our excretory organs which include the bowels, the kidneys, the skin, and the lungs. During pregnancy, the mother must get rid not only of her own waste products, but also of those of the child. The waste products of the child, if weighed, would not amount to a great deal, but they are by no means negligible. So far as we can tell, it is chiefly on account of their peculiar character that they increase the work of the mother's excretory organs. Whatever the cause, they do increase it, and experience has taught us that these organs must always be kept in a healthful condition, to protect both the mother and the child from harm. Consequently, a prospective mother who wishes to take proper care of her body must, in the first place, direct her attention toward keeping up the normal activity of all the excretory functions. THE BOWELS while pregnant, nine out of ten women suffer from mild constipation. Those who have been previously troubled with this complaint may find it aggravated from the outset, but in most instances it does not appear until after several months have passed. Constipation is explained by the fact that the enlarged womb presses against the intestines, and as the enlargement increases, constipation generally becomes more pronounced. No doubt there was a time when women, perhaps unconsciously, counteracted this natural result of pregnancy by the use of a diet consisting largely of fruits and vegetables, and also by outdoor exercise. Such measures, indeed, still afford the simplest means of overcoming constipation. Throughout pregnancy, the bowels should move at least once every day. When they do not, some of the waste material that should be removed is absorbed by the body, and seeks to leave it through the organs that are already doing their full share of work. For example, under such conditions the kidneys, instead of exerting themselves more vigorously, may become less active than they were. It is everyone's duty to form the habit of having the bowels move regularly. Now the most favorable opportunity for assisting the intestines to empty themselves occurs shortly after mealtime, 
since the involuntary movements of the intestines are most active while digestion is in progress it should be regarded as an imperative duty therefore to grant nature such an opportunity every morning just after breakfast this should be done at a definite hour day after day even though the inclination is absent and in many instances the desired habit will be formed a glass of water on going to bed or on getting up has a laxative effect and there are other dietary measures which may be employed with advantage thus coarseness of the food as we know stimulates intestinal activity and this fact explains the peculiar value of graham bread bran bread and corn bread fresh fruit and vegetables counteract constipation for two reasons namely because they leave in the bowels a relatively large amount of undigested substance and because they contain ingredients that have a specific purgative action such ingredients are especially noteworthy in rhubarb tomatoes apples peaches pears figs prunes and berries enemas used as a routine measure are mischievous they interfere with the tone of the bowel muscle so that it acts sluggishly and bring about a condition in which the bowels will not move without artificial stimulation at best these irrigations remove no more than the contents of the lower bowel and should be employed only when there is acute and urgent need of clearing out the rectum obstinate constipation is uncommon and strong purgatives are seldom needed if they become necessary a physician should be consulted as to what to take whenever dietary measures and exercise which is discussed in the next chapter fail to counteract the natural tendency toward constipation the prospective mother may generally resort to senna prunes or some equally simple and harmless household remedy senna prunes are prepared as follows place an ounce of dried senna leaves in a jar and pour a quart of boiling water on them allow to stand two or three hours strain off the leaves and throw them away to the liquor add a pound of prunes cover and place on the back of the stove allowing to simmer until half the liquor is boiled away add a pint of water and sweeten to taste preferably with brown sugar the prunes should be eaten with the evening meal the number required must be learned from experience begin with half a dozen and increase or decrease the number as required the syrup is an even stronger laxative than the prunes the kidneys any one may judge for herself whether or not the bowels are doing their work satisfactorily but not so with the kidneys for this purpose the urine must be examined by a physician in spite of this fact considerable responsibility rests upon the prospective mother whose duty it is to collect the specimens properly a detail that is apt to be neglected it is impossible to urge too strongly the importance of saving at regular intervals all the urine passed in twenty-four hours of protecting it from decomposition and of sending a sample to the physician the intervals may be longer at first for the kidneys have very little extra work to do until the sixth month usually therefore it is a satisfactory plan to send a sample for analysis the first of each month during the early half of pregnancy but during the latter half one should be sent the first and the fifteenth of each month 
to estimate the exact amount of urine passed in twenty-four hours and to protect it properly in the first place the vessel in which it will be collected should be carefully scalded out as a further precaution against decomposition add a teaspoonful of chloroform to the vessel which should be kept covered and not allowed to stand in a warm room unless these details are conscientiously observed putrefaction may take place and vitiate the analysis the physician wishes to make the precise amount of urine which the kidneys excrete in twenty-four hours will be determined as follows at a convenient time for example at eight a m empty the bladder and throw the urine away this marks the beginning of the observation subsequently save all the urine passed during the day and night and finally at eight o'clock the next morning empty the bladder and add this urine to that previously collected the total amount thus collected should be measured it is unnecessary to send all the urine to the physician six ounces somewhat less than half a pint will be enough but the physician should know what the total amount was found to be therefore a record of the measurement the date and the patient's name should accompany the sample if limited to a single fact about the urine it would be most helpful to know the amount passed during the twenty-four hours in this way as i have already pointed out the patient herself may derive valuable information for if the urine is scanty in amount that is less than a quart she should drink more water unscrupulous newspaper advertisements alarm people through incorrect statements about trouble with the kidneys for example they declare that a sediment in the urine is a sign of disease but that is false the mere act of cooling sometimes causes substances to crystallize out of perfectly normal urine or putrefactive changes which frequently take place after the urine has stood for a time may cause some of its normal constituents to be precipitated a sediment either white pink or yellow may indicate that the urine is too concentrated and consequently means that the individual should drink water more freely but it generally means nothing more serious the really important abnormal constituents of the urine namely albumin and sugar never form a sediment pain in the back is a complaint frequently used to defraud the public this symptom does not indicate bright's disease it is generally due to the muscles far away from the kidneys with which usually the pain has nothing whatever to do similarly a desire to pass the urine frequently does not indicate any disturbance of kidney function but is explained by the pressure of the enlarged womb against the bladder it is a very annoying yet a natural result of pregnancy the skin the functions of the skin are at the very foundation of health it protects the delicate structures which it covers assists in the regulation of the temperature of the body and excretes waste products the excretory function of the skin is always active but we are unconscious of this activity except on warm days and at times when we perspire freely in the coldest weather however the body throws off what physiologists call the insensible perspiration the most important measures for the care of the skin are those intended to ensure the activity of the sweat glands namely bathing and proper clothing 
but before considering these measures we will describe certain alterations in the skin which cannot escape the notice of the prospective mother and which she is likely to misinterpret on account of the growth of the uterus the abdominal wall is stretched during pregnancy to a certain degree the skin yields to the distension but it finally cracks and lines appear which are commonly called pregnancy streaks at first they are delicate and pink or blue in color later they become white and more extensive the streaks indicate the situation of small breaks in the deeper layer of the skin which is less elastic than the upper layer they are not painful and should never cause anxiety their size and number vary with the degree of abdominal distension which in turn depends upon various factors such as the size of the child and the quantity of amniotic fluid although these streaks are most frequently located upon the lower part of the abdomen they may extend to the outer sides of the thighs and occasionally appear over the breasts since they too enlarge during pregnancy stretching of the skin of course is not confined to pregnancy consequently the same kind of streaks often appear in people who are growing stout attempts to prevent or limit the pregnancy streaks prove futile there is a common belief that they may be prevented by the use of vaseline goose grease mutton fat or some one of a variety of lotions but this teaching is not borne out by experience none of these applications however are harmful and there can be no objection to using them except that they cause needless soiling of the clothing after the child is born the streaks fade of their own accord though they rarely disappear entirely in certain localities the skin grows darker during pregnancy we have already referred to the deepening of the color around the nipple as one of the signs of pregnancy a similar but much less pronounced discoloration occurs about the navel which also becomes shallow and may begin to pout in the latter months of pregnancy about this time with very few exceptions there appears a more or less intense brown line which runs downward from the navel in the middle of the abdomen sometimes though not very often small dark areas which have been called liver spots appear elsewhere over the body the name is unfortunate for the spots do not indicate a disorder of the liver at present it is generally admitted that alterations in the color of the skin during pregnancy are due to deposits of iron this mineral substance among others as we have learned is required for the development of the embryo the child is born with a supply of iron calculated to meet its needs for about a year such a reserve is necessary as bunge has pointed out because human milk does not contain enough iron to satisfy the infant's requirements during pregnancy therefore the mother's blood transports iron to the placenta where it can be absorbed into the child's system and while being thus transported some of it is deposited in the maternal tissues the deposits are especially frequent as i have mentioned in the middle line of the abdomen on account of the arrangement of the blood vessels there deposits elsewhere may depend upon other conditions but whatever their cause the pigmentation vanishes a short time after the birth alterations in the color of the skin have no effect upon its excretory function which indeed generally becomes more active during pregnancy according to one estimate the average person possesses 28 miles of sweat glands 
if these figures are not sufficient to demonstrate the importance of the skin as an excretory organ surely no one will fail to be impressed by the tragic result which in one case followed throwing all the sweat glands out of action this was brought about in the case of a young boy whose body was covered with gold leaf to provide entertainment at a parisian festival the living statue was not exhibited however for shortly after the youth was gilded he became ill and died in health more than a pint of water is eliminated through the skin every day and along with it waste products are removed from the body exercise hot drinks warm weather and heavy clothing promote the activity of the sweat glands under certain circumstances physicians endeavor to relieve the kidneys by stimulating their patients to perspire freely it should be clear therefore that when a prospective mother naturally perspires it is a good indication attempts to stop the perspiration are always ill-advised rather should this function be encouraged by keeping the skin in good condition with baths and warm clothing bathing the accumulation of dead skin grease dust and dried perspiration on the surface of the body hinders the actions of the sweat glands some of this material is wiped off by the clothing and more of it is removed by washing with plain water but the most effectual cleansing results from a liberal use of warm water and soap since the prospective mother must throw off the waste products of the embryo as well as those of her own body it is obvious that cleanliness is never more important than during pregnancy for this reason she should take a tepid tub bath or shower every day it is not necessary that the temperature of the bath be determined with accuracy or that it be always the same but generally a temperature between eighty and ninety degrees fahrenheit is found most agreeable at this temperature a bath is termed indifferent because it is neither stimulating nor depressing it is employed purely for cleansing the body every part of the body should be well soaped and from ten to fifteen minutes should be given to washing all the exposed surfaces the best time for such a bath is just before going to bed though there is no objection to taking it during the day provided that two hours have passed since the last meal and that another hour is permitted to elapse before one goes out of doors or undertakes anything that requires exertion prolonged hot baths are fatiguing they draw the blood from the interior to the surface of the body and during pregnancy they are particularly depressing vapor and steam baths have a similar action and should never be taken without the consent of a physician they serve admirably for the treatment of rare complications of pregnancy but like medicine their use should be limited to cases in which they are clearly indicated unless disagreeable results are noticed those who have become accustomed to cold baths may continue to take them during pregnancy but others should not if however the temperature of the water is modified so that it will not produce a shock no one need omit the morning plunge or shower which most persons find invigorating sponging answers the same purpose for the intent of the morning bath is not to cleanse the body but to arouse the circulation a thorough rub-down assists in bringing the blood to the surface of the body bath and massage together thus constitute a kind of skin gymnastics 
especially beneficial throughout pregnancy. Although hot foot baths have sometimes been thought to cause miscarriage, there is no good reason for believing they ever do. Sea bathing, on the contrary, may be directly responsible for such a mishap. It is true that pregnant women sometimes indulge in surf bathing without harmful results. Nevertheless, the danger of miscarriage they assume is not slight. The shock of the low temperature, the exertion required to keep a firm footing, and the pounding of the surf against the abdomen are all unfavorable influences which more than counterbalance any advantage of such a bath. On the other hand, there is slight risk, if any, in bathing in a quiet stream or lake. Douches a great many women have the conviction that the vagina is not clean, and should therefore be regularly cleansed by means of irrigations. This assumption is false, and the treatment based upon it is unnecessary. In structure, the walls of the vagina closely resemble the skin, but unlike the skin, they do not contain glands. The vagina, therefore, has nothing to do with the elimination of waste products from the body. The secretion which issues from the vagina really originates in the glands around the mouth of the womb, and serves to protect the birth canal against infection from harmful bacteria. Careful examinations have shown that under normal conditions, which of course include pregnancy, disease-producing bacteria are absent from the vagina. In this respect, the vagina is even cleaner than the skin for disease-producing bacteria are present on the surface of the body. The vaginal secretion becomes more abundant during pregnancy, and the increase is interpreted as an additional guarantee against infection at the time of labor. So far as possible, therefore, this natural antiseptic should not be disturbed. The advice to abstain from douches will not be adopted by every prospective mother without protest for, as I have said, many women regard them as necessary to cleanliness. Others who have delicate skins are occasionally annoyed by the irritation of the vaginal secretion, which is not only increased during pregnancy, but has a more pronouncedly acid character. Under extraordinary circumstances it may be permissible to use douches in the early part of pregnancy, but it is practically never advisable to do so during the month preceding the expected date of confinement. Furthermore, at no time should the use of douches be begun without consulting a physician. A more rational hygienic measure for the relief of itching and smarting about the vaginal orifice consists in removing the secretion as soon as it appears. In other words, the external parts should be kept clean and dry. Great comfort is often derived from the use of a sitz bath, which may be easily prepared by placing a small tub upon a low stool and pouring in warm water, about 90 degrees Fahrenheit, until it is five or six inches deep. Cold sitz baths are useful in the treatment of hemorrhoids. Whether the bath be hot or cold, the treatment should continue from 10 to 15 minutes, and after it the skin should be thoroughly dried. A special form of tub, called a bidet, has been devised to facilitate bathing the parts in question. The device is convenient, but expensive, and is certainly not essential. 
every purpose will be served by the small tub provided the desired temperature of the bath is properly maintained by changing the water as may be necessary clothing in these days at least it is not idle to remark that the first use of clothes is to keep the body warm all other services they are made to perform are secondary and relatively unimportant there are very good reasons to be sure for dressing neatly and even for dressing in accord with the fashion so long as the prevailing styles are not harmful odd as it may seem these are matters which are not without significance for the physical well-being of a prospective mother neat and comfortable clothing will help her to overcome a natural inclination to become a stay-at-home and on this account an inconspicuous way of dressing is often more valuable than medicine so long as they do not attract attention most prospective mothers go out in the daytime mingle with their acquaintances and attend public places of amusement deference to fashion therefore may contribute substantially to good health yet no prospective mother can afford to forget that first of all her clothing must keep the body warm our clothing confines a cushion of air which prevents the escape of the heat that we generate now since dry air conducts heat poorly and moist air conducts it readily the underclothes should be made of material that absorbs the perspiration otherwise the heat that the body generates is quickly lost woolen garments effectually absorb the perspiration and should be given the preference most persons who cannot wear wool next the skin must choose cotton since silk and linen are much more expensive there is not in this however serious deprivation cotton undergarments are perfectly hygienic adapting their weight to the season of the year one will find them equally satisfactory in summer and winter except in summer every inch of the body should be covered with the underclothing this means that high neck and long sleeve shirts and long drawers should be worn for healthful activity of the skin can thus be best preserved it is well known to physicians who practice obstetrics that the kidneys fail in their work more frequently during the winter than the summer to my mind this is chiefly explained by the way women dress even with light clothing the sweat glands respond actively to the heat of summer and thus relieve the kidneys but in cold weather the sweat glands will not remove their share of the waste products unless the clothing is warm nature generally indicates that the body should be kept warm during pregnancy many prospective mothers complain of perspiring freely others if reproached because they are not clad warmly enough reply that they must wear light clothing to keep from perspiring thus they discount or render absolutely ineffective a most important natural safeguard against serious complications it cannot be too strongly emphasized that warm clothing helps to maintain healthful activity of the kidneys quite as much as a proper amount of exercise and the drinking of a suitable quantity of water the texture of the outer garments should take into account this same quality of warmth in other respects in selecting them personal taste is an excellent guide outfitters carry a variety of maternity garments patterns for such garments are also sold by dealers so that those who cannot afford the ready-made clothes will find it easy to have them made at home alterations in the clothing are compulsory as pregnancy advances 
and should be timely, made in anticipation of inevitable development rather than in response to it. No prospective mother need go to the extreme of reform clothes. Her apparel should illustrate both her good sense and her personal pride. It is obviously even more harmful during pregnancy than at other times to cramp the body by the clothing. The chest and the abdomen, the parts most likely to be compressed, are at such times most in need of freedom. To a slight degree natural causes always compress the chest from below upward, and on this account nothing should be allowed to hamper the expansion of the lungs from side to side. On the other hand, if the waist is constricted, not the breathing movements alone, but also the growth of the womb will be interfered with. In order to avoid such disagreeable consequences, and at the same time to limit the extent of the maternity wardrobe, skirts may be fitted with practical devices, which permit letting out the waistband as occasion demands. So far as possible, however, all the clothing should be hung from the shoulders, and under no circumstances should heavy skirts be worn. Shoes contribute toward health, or the lack of it, more significantly than the average person realizes. It is particularly advisable that prospective mothers should select footwear with care, because their bodies are heavier than usual. The feet are apt to become swollen in the latter months of pregnancy, and consequently the shoes should be roomy, but should always fit. To escape the discomfort of tight shoes, it is generally advisable to wear a shoe an inch longer and broader than the foot at rest. High heels have been proved a frequent cause of backache. Half of such cases, in all probability, may be thus explained. High heels tilt the body forward in such a way that the erect posture can be maintained only by an unnatural tenseness of the back muscles. Some strain of this kind is inevitable during the latter months of pregnancy, on account of the enlargement and the position of the womb. It is reasonable, therefore, to minimize it by wearing low, broad heels. Besides being responsible for many cases of backache, high heels add greatly to the danger of tripping and falling. For this reason alone they should not be worn. Improper footgear, and not the joints themselves, deserve the blame for weak ankles. To prevent turning the ankle, it is not necessary to restrict oneself to high shoes, but merely to see that the shoes that are worn have low heels and broad soles. Such shoes provide a sure, firm footing, and this the prospective mother particularly needs. Corsets no question connected with women's dress has provoked so much discussion as the use of corsets. Are corsets necessary to health? Has been differently answered by those who would appear to be equally competent authorities. In the time of our savage ancestors we may safely conclude that they were not used, and therefore it is really a question as to whether their continued use for generation after generation, has finally made some support of this kind indispensable to the average woman. While that matter has not as yet been settled, it is obvious that custom is really responsible for the conviction of many women that they appear slovenly without corsets. On the other hand, not a few women, unmindful of fashion, never wear them. They testify that they are healthier for doing so. 
Whether this be true or not, no one can honestly believe that corsets will soon be banished. And the practical problem is to distinguish between those that may do good and those certain to do harm. During pregnancy the abdomen tends to fall forward and slightly downward, and though it is in pregnancies after the first that this tendency is most marked, every prospective mother will be more comfortable if she wears some sort of support to counteract what physicians term a pendulous abdomen. Such a condition can be prevented by the use of several appliances, and the device best suited to the case should be chosen. Those who have never become accustomed to corsets will probably find a corset waist or an abdominal support of the most comfortable and useful. But the average young woman who has previously employed a sensible, well-made, and loosely fitting corset need make no change until the third or fourth month of pregnancy. From then on she should wear a corset especially designed to conform with the changes that naturally occur in the figure. There is a plan, wrong in principle, which many adopt. Reasoning that it will be necessary to change the corset from time to time, and desiring to practice economy, a number of women purchase the cheapest corset at hand. This they replace with a larger one of the same style from time to time. The result is that an improperly fitting garment is worn continuously and in the end this plan proves almost as expensive as and far less suitable than a proper corset which would remain serviceable throughout pregnancy or at least until a few weeks before confinement most and probably all of the injuries for which corsets are responsible result from their misuse naturally serious consequences may be expected if they are worn with the design of compressing the abdomen so as to render pregnancy less noticeable, or perhaps to conceal it altogether. Thus worn, the corset becomes not only an instrument of torture, but a source of danger both to the mother and to the child. Fortunately, there are very few women who fail to appreciate the risk of thus striving to disguise their condition, and generally it is the needless discomfort, the trifling ills thoughtlessly inflicted upon themselves, that prospective mothers must be taught to avoid. At present there are manufactured a number of excellent maternity corsets, but there are also worthless types, and some likely to do harm. To judge them fairly they must be examined with regard to several requirements. In the first place the corset should not be stiff and should always be capable of easy adjustment. It must never interfere with the activity of any organ. As ausante, the French word meaning pregnant, signifies the prospective mother should be unbound. Tight clothing, as we have already remarked, hinders the breathing movements. It also interferes with the action of the heart, and occasionally causes the child to assume an unfavorable position within the uterus. The adjustment of the maternity corset to the progressive development of the body is generally provided for by means of extra lacings down the sides, and by the insertion of elastic material. The maternity corset in the next place must support the enlarged uterus. Correctly shaped and worn, it extends well down in front, fits snugly around the hips, and arches forward so as to conform to the curve of the abdomen. In place of the arching, or cupping as manufacturers call it, 
some maternity corsets have attached to their lower edge lymph flaps of a strong fabric which lace together the maternity corset waist also should extend well under the abdomen and fit snugly around the hips finally the corset should support the bust the unpleasant sensations due to congestion of the breasts can be relieved most successfully by elevating them it is exceedingly important however that the upper part of the corset should fit loosely for otherwise the development of the breasts may be hindered and the nipples depressed as a further precaution against pressure above and also to secure the proper amount of support below it is generally advisable to begin putting on the corset while lying down in every case the corset should be laced from below upward if laced in the opposite direction it fails to lift the womb and tends to push all the abdominal organs downward any kind of corset is likely to become uncomfortable toward the end of pregnancy and of course should then be discarded an abdominal supporter made of woven linen or rubber is frequently used to advantage during the last three or four weeks with the first pregnancy the supporter is rarely necessary but with subsequent ones it is frequently useful as early as the sixth month and is indispensable later a substitute for the manufactured supporter can be made at home some such device often facilitates turning in bed and on that account may be found even more useful at night than during the day the breasts personal hygiene during pregnancy includes the preparation of the breasts with a view to success in nursing all measures which promote the health of a prospective mother also serve to equip her for the nursing period and in that sense the directions just given for the care of the body as well as the rules to follow in the next chapter regarding a wholesome way of living bear directly upon lactation but there are also local measures to be adopted some of which such as supporting the breasts and avoiding constriction by the clothing have already been mentioned finally the nipples must be toughened and if short or flat they must be drawn out for the best supply of milk will count for nothing if the infant cannot nurse comfortably some approved method of toughening the nipples so that they will not be injured by the sucking efforts of the infant no matter how vigorous should be begun eight weeks before the expected date of confinement to start earlier will do no harm but it is quite unnecessary a number of procedures have been advocated but in my own experience the following simple method is the best the nipples are scrubbed for five minutes night and morning with soap and warm water generally a soft brush such as a complexion brush is satisfactory but if this is too harsh at first a washcloth may be used after having been thoroughly scrubbed the nipples are anointed with lanolin and covered with a small square of clean old linen to prevent soiling of the clothing another method widely used but somewhat less trustworthy consists in bathing the nipples and applying a dilute solution of alcohol formerly brandy whiskey or cologne were recommended but at present the following solution is commonly used a tablespoon of powdered boric acid is added to three ounces of water and thoroughly mixed this is poured into a six ounce bottle which is then filled with grain alcohol ninety five per cent 
the solution is applied twice a day with a small piece of absorbent cotton well-formed nipples need only be toughened but depressed nipples require additional treatment and this should be begun about the middle of pregnancy the old-fashioned way of making the nipple more prominent was to cover it with the mouth of a bottle which had previously been warmed the vacuum created as the bottle cooled drew the nipple out similarly the bowl of a clay pipe was sometimes placed over the nipple the patient sucked the stem the nipple was drawn into the bowl and with persistence day after day success was often attained a similar and somewhat more aesthetic procedure is now employed the nipple is seized between the thumb and finger and alternately pulled out and allowed to retract these manipulations if faithfully practiced for several months generally make the nipple prominent enough for the infant to grasp occasionally patients need to wear a contrivance sold at instrument stores which consists of a circular piece of wood modeled to fit the breast and perforated in the middle to accommodate the nipple the appliance should not be used unless a physician thinks it necessary directions regarding the care of the breasts are sometimes taken lightly yet such care is not a minor duty now and then a patient will pass through pregnancy uneventfully will be delivered without difficulty and will enter upon what promises to be a rapid convalescence when her recovery is interrupted by the development of inflammation of the breast because such a complication may be prevented its appearance is the more to be regretted furthermore the responsibility for its prevention usually rests with the patient herself if she has been conscientious in preparing the nipples and continues to watch them throughout the nursing period the annoyance of an abscess will almost certainly be prevented End of chapter five the care of the body recording by pamela krantz